You're listening to Orange County's only station with critical business information, Critical Mass, with your host, Rick Franzi. And welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This business talk show airs live on Tuesdays at 4 p.m. and can be heard exclusively on internet radio station octalkradio.net. If you're listening to this program in the future as a podcast, we encourage you to consider listening to the show live during our broadcast times. The show is brought to you by our sponsors, Succession Strategies, Commerce National Bank, Smart Business Magazine, and our newest sponsor, Smart Stop Self Storage. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience, make better decisions. If you're listening today to the program live and you would like to possibly participate with one of our two guests, then it's easy to do. Simply find the community chat room section of octalkradio.net's website, log in with your Twitter handle. This will connect you to our engineer, who is today Paul Roberts. And Paul can bring your thoughts and ideas and questions to my attention, and possibly I can work them in to the interviews. If you're expecting to hear my interview with Jim Beach, who co-wrote the book School for Startups, then hold on. He'll be our second guest, and uh, we will be with him a little later in the program. We're going to take our first commercial break, and when we come back, our first guest, Alex Wilcox of JetSuite, will be here to talk about how his company has been able to not only survive but grow during this recession. I've asked Alex to join the show to discuss the reasons behind JetSuite's growth and success. So we'll be right back with our first guest, Alex Wilcox. But first, these words from our sponsors. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely, ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com I got stuff to the right, more stuff to the left Got enough stuff, but I can't take a step So I smart stopped It took a minute to think I need a little better spot Not under the sink With Smart Stop I leave the stress at the door Cause it's the smart way to store Smart Stop bucks the system Your first month's rent is just a buck Your next three months are half off Call 888-97-STORAGE And mention this station Goodbye clutter, hello floors Smart Stop, the smarter way to store Welcome back to Critical Mass, the radio show heard exclusively on octalkradio.net. All right, let's turn our attention to our first guest, Alex Wilcox, CEO of JetSuite. Alex, welcome to the program. Thanks, Rick. Nice to be here. Let's begin by asking you to tell us a little bit about your professional background, kind of your path to JetSuite. 
Well, the Path of Jet Suite's been a long one. I've spent most of my career in aviation, and uh, I got my pilot's license when I turned 16, but didn't really want to be a professional pilot, but knew I wanted to be in the industry. So I was lucky enough to uh, do an internship with Southwest Airlines during college, then got a job in uh, Miami with Virgin Atlantic, um, a little detour managing a rock and roll band for a couple of years, living in Winnebago, uh, then uh, back to Virgin, where I met uh, a guy named David Newman, who wound up uh, becoming the founder of uh, JetBlue Airways. And uh, I was, depending on how you count, the first or second employee at JetBlue. Um, spent a great, uh, fulfilling six years there when I got recruited to uh, move to Bombay, India, to uh, start an airline uh, there called Kingfisher, which became, uh, became the largest privately held airline in India at the time. Uh, things have changed since then. I've been uh, out of there for about six or seven years. And then um, I was out raising money for a, a new startup back in 2006 uh, that was going to be a short-haul regional airline. I met some bankers in New York um, who had purchased uh, a bunch of Fina 100s sort of on spec and um, <clears throat> were looking for the right business plan to do it. Uh, they asked me to write the plan. I did it. Uh, brought my team in. Uh, my co-founders, Keith Rabin and, and Brian Coulter, uh, helped me with the plan. And uh, they liked it so much they hired us to uh, start the company. And that was uh, 2006, and uh, we started flying in 2010. And uh, I'm sorry, at the very end of 2009, we started flying. And uh, it's been great ever since. So let's talk about JetSuite then. Uh, tell the audience, if you would, explain the the business model a little bit to them, the value proposition, if you will, and if you can, what makes JetSuite different in your space? Sure. Well, I mean, we what we sell is time more than anything, time and convenience, and you know that, that's the ultimate luxury. Despite what you might see on TV and advertisements, the private jet business is not about you know champagne and caviar and Chateaubriand on board uh, and a bunch of flight attendants. It's all about getting where you want to go as quickly and easily as you can. So, saving time is the ultimate luxury. It's the one thing we all have the exact same amount of uh, in every day. And, uh, you know, we, we discovered that our clients want a simple offer, something that doesn't require a lawyer to understand. They also want to know up front what they're going to pay uh, before they fly. And obviously the hygienic thing for us is that, uh, that they're safe. Um, and so, you know, we have the highest safety rating in the, in the industry. What sets us apart is that uh, we use smaller airplanes typically than many of our competitors. Uh, so for those short-haul flights like LA to Vegas, um, where our competitors might offer a Gulfstream at $30,000. We can offer a Phenom, which seats four in equal comfort uh, for you know, as little as 3000 Uh So we use the right tool for the job. The industry has been driven for a long time just by ego and by airplane size, and now we're in a position where people are actually, no matter how rich they are, uh, looking at the bottom line and making sure that they're not overpaying for what they do. And, and uh, now value is every bit as important um, as... Uh, as speed and convenience uh, to our customers. And so we've got a cost structure that's fundamentally lower than all of our competitors. It's always nice to be able to say that, isn't it? That's a real advantage in a, in a challenging and competitive market space. Massive advantage, yeah. If you have a better product and a lower cost structure, it's, uh, it's pretty hard to lose unless you really screw it up. Yeah, you should win that fight. Uh, okay. Sure. Let's talk about, of all the things you've learned in your various stops in the industry and your detour out of the industry there for a little bit. Have you, have you put together what we call here on Critical Mass Radio Show a guiding principle? In other words, kind of an overarching belief system that you're using to lead and grow JetSuite? 
Yeah, in fact, we are. Um, you know, we have a series of ten values that uh, that we refer back to when we have a question and if we're considering doing something. And if if what we're doing is consistent with those values, then uh, uh, we do it. And if if we don't, we save a whole lot of time um, just by saying no. That's not the kind of thing that we do, and we're going to move on. Um, you know, the most important value, the first one, is, is to serve from the heart. Um, and if if what we do isn't isn't serving our customers, then we're just not going to do it. Um, we use the values, values to guide our hiring, um, and to uh, as well as the, the other decisions that we make, you know, every single day. And how did your firm develop those ten values? You know, we uh, it, it was sort of it was internal, it was organic. Uh, we have a great uh, HR leader here, a guy named Kevin Cape, who uh, led us through the process, and you know, this was. With the benefit of, of many great uh, advisors on our board, including David Nealman, the founder of JetBlue, Tony Shea, the CEO of Zappos.com, uh, and Kevin Cape uh, himself, who uh, took us through the process. And uh, you know, we, we we did surveys, we did focus groups of uh, internal and included some clients as well, um, and wound up with these with these ten uh, these ten values that uh, that I think the company you know has, has embraced, but all with an eye towards you know now providing efficient. Uh, and safe service. Excellent. You mentioned clients, so that brings me to my next question, which is, as I understand it, JetSuite has really built the business on a keen understanding of a certain segment of the flying population. You sort of highlighted that a little bit earlier in the interview, but I'm wondering if you could talk to our audience of business owners and CEOs and executives about how you've been able to attract that niche and then create awareness and and understanding for your value proposition within that specific niche of the airline industry. Yeah, thanks. You know, we we uh, we obviously serve the high net worth individual, and we've done a really good job, I think, uh, in marketing to them. Um, probably, it probably divides up into thirds, and I'd say a third of our uh, of our clients have, have been inbound leads, you know, basically people that we've marketed to. Uh, we do a variety of print marketing uh, publications like Rob Report do very well for us, the Wall Street Journal, and other. Um, you know, sort of higher-end uh, publications that uh, people with money tend to read. And uh, so we try to fish where the fish are. We are very disciplined about tracking our lead sources. And uh, so every time a customer calls us, you know, we ask them how they heard about us so that we can, you know, uh, allocate our marketing budget appropriately. Uh, another third probably comes from word of mouth. Um, that is clients, you know, referring to other clients um, to us. And, uh, you know, I think that's a testament to the product that we offer and the level of service that we offer. So obviously, uh, remember the old saying: uh, "Nothing kills a bad product better than good, faster than good marketing." Uh, well, luckily, the, the inverse is also true. Nothing promotes a good product uh, faster than, a, uh, than than a good product. Um, so we have a good good experience with that. And then the last third is uh, outbound prospecting. We have uh, lists that we both acquire and that we uh, that we uh, develop internally of. You know, people that qualify for our service and uh, that would be interested in our service, and uh, we pursue those aggressively. We've got uh, 13 full-time salespeople that uh, spend most of their day, uh, you know, chasing down new prospects, and uh, who are very successful at doing that. So that's a significant part of your labor force dedicated to the sales activity and the prospecting. Yeah, 13 out of about 130 people, so about okay. 10 percent. Great. So a third, a third, and a third, huh? It's a that's a that's a good formula, and I think one that could work for any industry, whether it's inbound referral, inbound leads, referrals, or outbound solicitation and telemarketing. Thank you. My pleasure. Uh, let, let's um, explore a little bit a current challenge facing JetSuite, and if you could 
share that challenge with the audience, but also uh, help them to understand the steps you're planning to take or have started to take to mitigate that challenge, I would appreciate it. Sure. You know, the uh, the private jet industry has been on its heels uh, since since about the time we started, actually. Uh, so, you know, our, our perpetual challenge has been to grow a business in a, in a declining market. Uh, private jet hours are off, you know, since 2006 pretty significantly. Uh, they're off by as much as, uh, as 25 to 30 percent uh, just as recently as two years ago. Uh, but in the face of that, we built a business that's been growing 3% compounded month month over month for three years. And uh, we're proud of that record. You know, it would be good even in an up market, but it's especially, I think, um, noteworthy in terms of the environment that we find ourselves in. So, you know, the, the biggest hurdle for us has been finding financing uh, for the airplanes. You know, the, the, the jet industry is challenging in many ways. It's, uh, it's commodity intensive. You know, we, we rely on the price of fuel uh, that we don't control. It's dependent on good weather, which we also don't control. It's very labor intensive. Every single airplane needs four pilots, you know, to staff it uh, fully seven days a week. Um, it's uh, highly regulated, uh, which we don't have much control over either. And of course, it's capital intensive. So I'd say the last part of that, the capital intensivity, has been the biggest challenge for us. And finding creative ways to, to finance the airplanes uh, that we're acquiring uh, has probably been our biggest single challenge. You know, we have all the other challenges that go with running a service business, which is all the downfalls of the, the restaurant business, and you're only as good as your last flight, and you require a lot of really good, happy people to to provide. But but for us, the really the the, the real um, I think success has been you know attracting the kind of financing that we require in a very very down market and growing the business in a down market. And I think we've done that creatively through um, uh, unusual sources of financing and and people who are looking you know for assets like airplanes that. Uh, hold their value um, and that have a, a longer-term view of, of what the business can do. So it's a combination of debt and equity financing and, and combining deals and aligning interests among manufacturers and banks and export agencies and so on. So we, we've had to think very creatively in terms of how to grow our fleet and get up to the, the 18 airplanes that we have today. Is the financing challenge changing at all? Is is Are you seeing any changes in it as kind of we move through the Great Recession into hopefully the Great Recovery? Yeah, I don't know if what's changing more. It's either our track record, you know, the fact that we've uh, we've been current throughout our existence, uh, and so we're getting a, a better credit rating and, and better terms. So I think that's got something to do with it. But th- definitely things are better. And I I don't know how much of it is just you know our success to date and how much of it the world is changing. But I definitely feel an upswing in the in the market. And even our existing customers, people that have been with us for you know over two or three years, are flying more themselves. And I think uh, you know aviation is a is a leading indicator of uh, of uh, prosperity and probably a lagging indicator of uh, of a recession. So I, yeah, I think uh, I think things are definitely getting better overall. You gave a a good overview of you know being off the industry off by twenty five thirty percent, but the the company is growing month over month. So that that leads me to ask you about sort of you versus your competitive uh, competitors. Now many of the companies. As I understand it, that we're in your space that started around the same time that you started your firm are no longer in business. I mean, can you describe from your perspective what is it that Jet Suites been able to do that's not only allowed you to weather the storm, but also, as you said, to, you know, kind of grow sequentially and continue on this on this upward trend? Well, I, I think there's a variety of things uh, that that work in combination to to allow us to succeed and. You know, the first is having uh, the right business model. You know, we, we have the right tool for the job, and that's a fundamental departure from 
what the rest of the industry is flying. You know, we I mentioned earlier that the price of gas affects us a lot. Well, our, our Latina 100 burns less than 100 gallons an hour uh, in crews, and uh, it, but is equally comfortable as, as many larger jets that we compete against, which burn two to three times as much gas. Um, so we have a fundamental cost, you know, advantage. And we, we also have, uh, in addition to the right business model, the right tool for the job. I think we've got the right values. Those are very important to us. You know, we, we're a place that attracts a lot of people. For every job opening we have, we probably have, you know, certainly for pilots, over 100 applicants for every single slot uh, that we hire. So we have our pick uh, of uh, the very best people in, in the industry, um, and they want to join us. And, you know, when you hire winners, I think other winners want to join you as well, and winners attract winners. So we've got, I think, probably most importantly, not just the right tool, not the right business model, not just the right values, but we have people with with real heart and real tenacity. You know, when things get tough, uh, the tough get tougher, and I think we've got a lot of tough people here. Uh, but they're they're not tough in the sense of uh, gruff. They're tough in the sense of they got a lot of you know intestinal fortitude. Uh, but I think they're also the friendliest people you'll find you know in our industry. So I have to credit it ultimately to the the quality of people that we've been able to attract. So if someone was interested in learning more about JetSuite and understanding their service offerings, how do they find you online? What's your website? It's JetSuite, J-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com. And um, right there, not only uh, can you find out about the company, but unlike virtually every single one of our competitors, you can actually get an exact guaranteed quote for any flight you'd like to take uh, among over 2,000 airports across North America. Uh, just put in the airports, and uh, we'll spit out a price for either one of our airplane types. And uh, I don't think there's another single competitor that can, can say that there's a guaranteed price uh, they can offer online. So we're also about transparency. That's another big difference in our model uh, vis-a-vis our competitors. Well, I appreciate you being on the show and sharing just a little bit about the firm and what makes it different and your industry. I enjoyed the quick conversation that we had today here on Critical Mass Radio Show Thanks for being a friend of the program. Continued success in 2013 and beyond. Rick, thanks so much for everything you're doing for Orange County businesses and uh, all the peer-to-peer and uh, other support that you provide to, to the community. really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Have a good day, Alex. Talk to you later. All right. Alex Wilcox, ladies and gentlemen, CEO of JetSuite. I suggest you check them out. It's a really uh, outstanding company. I've had the pleasure of visiting their facility here in Southern California um, and um, very impressed, and very impressed with Alex and, and his executive team as well. So that's our first, he was our first guest today here on Critical Mass Radio Show. We're going to take a short commercial break and come back with our second guest, author Jim Beach. So stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back after these words from our sponsors. My company made the switch to Commerce National Bank about six months ago. Our relationship officer was there every step of the way to make the transition as seamless as possible. We had an early hiccup with a deposit scanner, but they dropped everything and drove right to our offices to help. We couldn't feel better about our decision to switch. Instead of calling an 800 number and navigating through automated menus, now I call my Commerce National Bank relationship officer directly for any questions we have. Just knowing that they're so easily accessible and willing to help really puts me at ease. They offer the same technology as the big banks, but deliver it with superior service and training. They're also rated a full five stars by Bauer Financial. So if your organization is a small or medium-sized business in Orange County, you should make the switch too. Call Mary Miller, Senior Vice President, at 949-870-3863 or visit them online at www.commercenatbank.com. That's commercenatbank.com. 
Give Commerce National a chance to do better than your bank, and they'll handle the rest. If you are an Orange County business executive, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions. These are groups of peers running businesses just like you, providing a great sounding board to test ideas and concepts, review plans and goals, and present issues and opportunities for discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, people, and execution skills. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com. And learn more about our executive peer group. Welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This show is one in our series of Critical Mass Radio Shows. On Wednesday, we are our show featuring Orange County nonprofit organizations and their leaders. On Thursdays at 3 p.m., our nationally syndicated show, Coast to Coast features small and mid-market business leaders from across the country. All of our shows can be heard here live on octalkradio.net, or they can be rebroadcast anytime from Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcasting services. All of our shows can be found as well on our website, and that is criticalmass4forbusiness.com. All right, let's return to the interview part of the show by welcoming our second guest today, Jim Beach, who co-wrote School for Startups, which is to serve as a practical guide on how to build a business the smart way. School for Startups guarantees small business success in 90 days or less with the help of their program. Jim, welcome to Critical Mass Radio Show. Thank you so much for having me, Rick. Uh, Let's get started by saying, you know, what does the average person think entrepreneurship is, Jim? Well, you know, I think if we were to play Family Feud or something like that and they were to put the top answers on the board, it would certainly be something about creativity and something about risk. Entrepreneurs are risk takers who do creative things to start businesses. That's the perception of the man on the street. And I think that's a big part of the problem why people are afraid to start businesses, why people are not starting businesses today. So what role does creativity and risk play? Well, that's exactly it. We can eliminate both of those and totally change the perception of what entrepreneurship is. So when we talk about creativity, I think a lot of people, Rick, you know, 72% of Americans secretly wish to be an entrepreneur, but only about 11 or 12% are. So 60% of the Americans are sitting on the sofa waiting for this creativity lightning bolt. I think that most people believe that the process starts with some brilliant idea. All of a sudden they understand, well, I can go do Facebook or I can start a company like Twitter. Well, that's not the process. And so a lot of people are waiting for this God-given inspiration lightning bolt but I'm afraid that's just never going to happen. You know, we're not all going to be lucky and be given these brilliant ideas, but there's still a lot of great businesses that can be started. We can still do something like get on Google and type in, 
business ideas for under $1,000 and be shocked, Rick, to see that hundreds of websites come up that will give away business ideas. They'll say, here's an idea, go do this. And those are good ideas. There's nothing wrong with those ideas. A lot of them, too, are designed to do the second thing, which is to talk about risk. You know, we think that entrepreneurs are these incredibly risk-loving people who are willing to, you know, do these incredibly risky things like start businesses out of their garage. Well, actually, when they start a business out of their garage, they're doing what successful entrepreneurs do, which is reduce risk. I don't like risk. You know, at all. I've been several million dollars in debt before, and believe me, it was no fun whatsoever. What I like to do and what we have learned that successful serial entrepreneurs do is systematically reduce risk to the point where starting a business is a no-brainer. I do everything I can to make sure that the risk is either put off on someone else by raising money or selling something in advance to make sure that I've actually sold some product and it doesn't sound very risky if I've already sold something. I think one of the lessons that we're learning now is that we can reduce risk and have a creative business and go on a website and find a business that's not that risky, not very creative, and still make a lot of money from it. You know, those two things can be part of entrepreneurship, but they don't have to be. And those are the things that make people come up with these excuses. Like, Rick, have you ever heard this before? Well, I can't start a business right now. My boy's about to go off to college. So now's not a good time for me to take that risk. Things like that. Those are excuses that get in the way of us starting good businesses that would make us happy and make us have more income and make us maybe even have more free time with our family. So... Uh, what we're trying to say in the book is, hey, let's not talk about creativity. Let's go on a Google website and find someone that's giving away business ideas. And in our appendix, we have, I don't know, 25, 30 ideas that you could start for under $500. And then, you know, let's not even worry about risk. Let's take one week less vacation. You know, and a lot of your listeners out there in Orange County they may go to San Francisco for a week of vacation or go to Catalina Island for a week or something like that. Well, let's not do that this year. Let's take one week less vacation, and we'll call that our startup fund. And we're not going to spend any more than that. Well, then people say, well, I can't start a cool business for under $5,000. Well, history proves that incredible, really sexy businesses can be started for very, very little money in almost any industry. So I hope, uh, Rick, that people realize that you can be an entrepreneur without taking risk and without creativity. So in your opinion, then, what's the important piece of entrepreneur and being an entre- uh, of entrepreneurship and being an entrepreneur if it's not creativity and loving risk? Well, I think that's uh, the really cool thing is I'll ask you a personal question, Rick. Do you have any problems? Do you know people with problems? Well, I, the answer yes. is, of course, yes. You know, we all we all pay people to make our problems go away. I don't like to walk around naked in the cold, so I buy clothing and I buy a car and I buy a home to live in. And I don't like to go hungry, so I buy food, and I don't like to hurt, so I buy medicine. Well, there are other things. I don't like to be bored, so I buy tickets to Disney. 
and I like to do fun things, and we'll pay to make our problems go away. And I think the the universal truth is that everyone has some sort of problem that we will pay to improve our lives with. You know, all of a sudden, you're right, I'll pay more for that phone because it allows me to cool do cool new features that I couldn't do before. So if you look around and find a problem, I bet you you'll find someone that will pay you to solve that problem. And I think there are a lot of problems out there in the world. I love to have uh, all the guests here on the Critical Mass Radio Show series. It's particularly interesting to have entrepreneurs who have built a business out of discovering a personal need and solving that need for themselves and then realizing they can scale the business by virtue of helping other people who have a similar need. I agree. My first business was in children's education, and I actually, you know, I didn't realize this very, you know, year one, but year two, year three, year four, I realized that that business was solving the problem that I had as a child. I was a very unhappy child, and I became a pretty happy adult, you know, with a wife and beautiful kids and a life and all those sort of things. And my company ended up delivering that exact same package of skills that I learned to children and making a lot of these kids very happy, teaching them, hey, you know what's cool? It's cool to be smart. And you know what uh, the jocks in school are going to call you? Boss. You know, teaching them little <laughs> things like that that made uh, children understand that it was cool to be intellectual, cool to be smart, and I had to learn those things. And so you're exactly right, Rick. Uh, tons of good businesses come from you looking at your own problems, the problems you see in the people around you, and solving that problem. People love to pay to make a problem go away. So I hope that uh, what entrepreneurs or people who want to be entrepreneurs can do is look at it through that lens as opposed to waiting for God to strike you with a creativity lightning bolt. So do you believe that... Um entrepreneurship can be taught or that by going to school an individual can learn entrepreneurship? Well, you know, I was a a university professor with a a small P. I'm a non-PhD, but I taught at one of the top 10 uh, business schools for about 10 years. And I do believe that it can be taught, but not by an academic, not by someone with a PhD, but someone who's out there starting businesses themselves. Those people have really good advice, and that's why some of the organizations like SCORE and your radio program and some of the books out there provide such good practical advice. You know, it's one of those things. I'm a big proponent of education, but I'm not that big a fan of learning brain surgery from someone that's never done it before. And I want to see entrepreneur education 100% run by entrepreneurs, not by PhDs that are doing academic research on the value of connectivity through the length of your career, you know, those sort of pedagogical things that just don't add any value. So when I taught entrepreneurship, we tried to do it week one, week two, let's talk about creativity and how to find ideas, and then week three, how to test them, and Week four, how to start a marketing plan, you know, building value propositions that make it sound really cool and sexy what you're doing. So when you do things like that, I do believe that entrepreneurship can be taught and you can certainly get better. Um, you know, all of the self-help programs, the 
great radio shows, the educational stuff out there, it helps. And those are things that people should do and spend time and money listening to to make themselves better managers and better business people. Jim, we're going to take our third and final commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. When we come back, I want you to give your perspective on this concept of multiple revenue streams or multiple income streams. So, ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned for the rest of our interview today here on Critical Mass Radio Show with Jim Beach, co-author of School for Startups. But first, let's spend a little bit of time with our sponsors. If you are an Orange County business executive, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions. These are groups of peers running businesses just like you, providing a great sounding board to test ideas and concepts, review plans and goals, and present issues and opportunities for discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, people, and execution skills. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn more about our executive peer group. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. Welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Jim Beach, co-author of School for Startups, is our guest today. And before the break, I said we were going to ask you, Jim, to talk about this concept of multiple income streams. Yeah, I'd love to tell you the story of a young lady that I worked with named Tierra Reed. She came and said that she wanted to start a high-end clothing store. I said, you, you don't have the money. So she started a low-end consignment clothing store in a not great part of town. She did it for under $5,000 buying display racks and things like that off of Craigslist. The business was up and running, and all of her friends were impressed, and they started saying, how did you do this? Tell me how you did it. And so she started another business, where she consults with other low-income women about how to start a consignment clothing store. And from that, it's led to a speaking career where she goes around and helps women through her speeches start low-cost consignment stores. She now has multiple income streams that all create a overall brand, but were all started through the one act of starting this one simple store. Even though it's not her dream of a high-end Dolce & Gabbana store, a big part of her dream has come true. She's got a retail store up and running. And you know what? Now she has multiple income streams. And if the store has a bad month, she can probably make up for it with some extra speaking gigs or something like that. Multiple income streams allow us entrepreneurs to have good months and bad months with some of our businesses, but still do okay overall. Some of the safety that we need in the horrible economy that we, you know, have just come out of and hopefully are going to explode out of now. 
So, Jim, when you, you talk about multiple income streams and you talk about consistent with your brand, I guess that's a finer point that I'd like to put on it. Um, are you suggesting that those multiple income streams be complementary or related to an overarching brand versus, you know, running a car wash here and you know, a clothing store there and maybe doing things no. that are not really related? No, I don't. You know, it's nice if they can because you certainly get synergies. But I don't think that it's necessary. You know, uh, at Christmas, I challenged my wife to start a business, and she has started since Christmas an Amazon store business. She's uh, selling stuff on Amazon, and she's made three or four thousand dollars already, which further proves our point that anyone can be an entrepreneur. But it also helps diversify my family income. You know, if I don't have a good month, if I get sick and I can't work. She at least has some other source. If you think you might lose your job, starting an Amazon business on the side, and my wife works full-time, cooks dinner every night, and takes care of our two-year-old baby, and is running an Amazon store on the side, Rick, so people can do this, it gives you the safety net to have multiple income streams in case you do lose your primary income, in case you do want to work a little harder so you can go on an extra week of vacation. So, you know, I certainly agree with you that there are benefits to having all of the things tied together. But on the other hand, I really love what my wife is doing right now because it gives my family extra stability. Uh, her income has nothing to do with mine. So if I get sick, we'll still have her income. Jim, that's interesting. Like that. You talk about doing it while you're still employed. I, I, um, I counsel people who are working for corporate America or for other companies that, in my opinion, there's this illusion of security because you're working for a large multinational corporation, when in fact, I think this recession has demonstrated that we just come out of, there's really very few industries or, or positions that are safe in in tough times or even in a corporate uh, reorganization. I think the truth um, security comes from having skills that the marketplace will pay you for, regardless of who you work for. And if you can work for yourself, you're even more secure. So I see it completely backwards and different than maybe those people. But for those people that ha have a job, how do they know when it's time to walk away from that full-time uh, with benefits position for this business that they're nurturing and starting part-time? I used to have an employee, and he told me every day I have to leave at 4. I don't care what you do before 4, but I'm leaving at 4. And I finally asked him why, and it was because he had a business on the side, and he had to get the UPS shipment out the door before 7.30, and he needed those three and a half hours to do it. Uh, I don't want you to quit until you are fired. Keep those benefits until your boss gets so mad at you taking long lunch breaks that he fires you because eventually you're not a good employee because your business is taking up so much time. I am very, very risk-adverse right now. I'm going to keep those health care benefits as long as I can. And I even have a joke that goes with it, Rick. I say you should take up smoking if you're going to be a, an entrepreneur so that you can go have 15-minute smoke breaks every hour, which is really your excuse to go get on the phone and do your business on your, you know, boss's time. And I'm being facetious, of course, but... I don't want you to quit your business right now or quit your, your day job because that increases your risk, and I don't feel good about doing that in this economy. 
as I said, I want to reduce risk. Let's keep those jobs and those benefits until the absolute last possible moment. I'm, I'm not being facetious when I say, wait until your boss has yelled at you a couple of times because they know you're doing something else. Uh, maybe that's the indicator that you should think about it. Um, and hopefully your business will be big enough at that point that it can almost support you and that if you work at it full time, it would be able to support you. All right, two two more questions for your time here with us today on Critical Mass Radio Show, if I could, Jim. Explain to our audience briefly the idea of the corridor principle. Right. Remember, Tiara, when she was standing at the beginning of the path of entrepreneurship, she was looking down this long path, corridor, hallway. She could not see all the opportunities that were in the rooms that are off of the hallway. The only way you can see those opportunities is if you start walking down the path of entrepreneurship. We talk about creativity. If you talk to a successful entrepreneur, they will tell you they have countless ideas that they just haven't done yet because they see all of these other opportunities. Taking the first step will expose you to hundreds of other ideas, hundreds of other businesses. Get on Google and take that first step. Find some idea to go and copy and emulate and improve upon and then you're going to be exposed to ideas to the left and to the right. You'll be inundated with new business ideas. And that's the corridor principle, that just getting started is the important thing. After that, ideas will come to you left and right. Yeah, there are certain things you can't plan. You have to do. You only learn from doing. And I think that ties with your opportunities reveal themselves. Only after you've put yourself in the game do you get to see the other things that could be a, p- a potential for you. So the- Thank you for explaining the corridor principle. If someone would like to learn more about School for Startups, get a copy of the book, meet you, talk to you, at least reach out to you, how do they find you online, Jim? Well, I'm very easy, I hope, to find. The book is on Amazon. I'm schoolforstartups.com. I'm at Entrepreneur Jim on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn as Jim Beach in Atlanta, Georgia, and I accept all invitations so i hope people will reach out to me on linkedin or twitter um hope to be easy to find well i appreciate you coming on our program today and speaking to our audience here in southern california and maybe other parts of the country that may be listening to this internet radio station today thanks for being a friend of the program and welcome to the critical mass community thank you so much for having me rick my pleasure jim have a good day you too All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have enjoyed our show today and the interviews have maybe provided you with some new ideas or information that you can use to make better decisions. The show is brought to you by our commercial sponsors, Succession Strategies, Commerce National Bank, Smart Business Magazine, and Smart Stop Self-Storage. Our engineer for today's show is Paul Roberts. Our producer is Rachel Franzi. Our marketing communications manager is Callie Faltus. Our guest coordinator is Kathleen Shepard. And I'm your host, Rick Franzi. If you'd like to learn more about our business here at Critical Mass for Business, find us online at criticalmass4forbusiness.com. And until the next show, I hope that all of your decisions will move your business in a positive direction. You've been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show right here on OC Talk Radio. 
www.mediaspace.net. <laughs>